Children, you're stuck with me today. Did you get your notes page? Did you get that? If you got your notes page, let me see it. Wave it. Let me see. Thank you. Thank you. This makes me pleased. All right. All right. You follow through on that and bring that back to Young Disciples next week. All right. So go ahead and grab that pen, get in your mom's purse, get a piece of gum and the pen, and be ready. Some of you others who want to take notes, get a piece of gum, get your pen, and get ready. Go ahead, if you will, and open to the book of Ephesians. We're ending our series today on Paul's prayers. Uh, There's more prayers that Paul prays in his letters to the various churches of the New Testament. Uh, In fact, Ephesians has a couple of more that we could have gone into today, but truth be told, I preached one of these prayers last fall, and I didn't want to double up. So I'm going to preach another prayer from Ephesians today from Paul. I want to just reiterate to you that this four-week series is all about taking folks who are in thriving churches and helping them to thrive all the more. These are, this is taking people who are already doing things in good faith for the Lord to expand the kingdom of God, and Paul is praying that, that God would do more. So whether it was the man Philemon and his household, whether it was the Philippians, whether it is the church in Colos, or whether it's the church in Ephesus, Paul is praying for these folks that incredible, amazing things would happen in their lives. So I'm going to encourage you, if you missed a part of this series, go ahead and catch it online because we've been building something here and we've been building some core ideas that are going to be expressed throughout preaching in the coming years. And so I just want to encourage you, if you don't know what our definition of true love is, go back and listen to the message on Philippians because that's going to be the, the, the core uh, definition of love that we're going to work with and it's going to factor into today's message. I was visiting someone in a nursing home recently and I was struck by something that happened in the hallway as I was going to visit this person. Now, usually when somebody who is real advanced in years, and I'm not going to put a number on that because some of you like are there right now, Okay. But usually when someone's real advanced in years and then they go home to be with the Lord and they pass on, and if they really made it to the point where we feel like they are old enough to go be with Jesus, do you know what I mean by that? Like folks who have, have made it that far and you're like, you know what, you, as, as Dale Wagner has put it from the scripture, you know, the scripture says that our days are three score and ten and anything else we're living on grace right? Uh, if, if you're old and advanced in years and we, somebody passes away, what do we say to sort of comfort ourselves? Well, they led a full life, right? They led a full life. No, they were just old when they died. We don't know that they necessarily led a full life. I know plenty of older folks who did not live a full life. They lived a, a pretty hapless life, an unenjoyable life. And I really feel like Paul's prayers, if you sort of brought them into summation, he'd be telling people who know Jesus, you guys get to live a full life. Whether you go, to be home, go home to be with the Lord at 18 or 35 or 55 or 75 or 105, you can live a full life. You can live life to the fullest. 
And I believe that what Paul is sort of getting across to this Ephesians, Ephesian church in, in chapter 3 here is that he wants them to live a full life. He wants them to get the full understanding of what it means to live a full life in Christ Jesus. And so today, that's going to be our focus as we read the scriptures. How can we be not just church people, not just Christians, but folks who know Jesus to the extent that we live a full life regardless of the day that Christ Jesus takes us home. Are you in chapter 3 of Ephesians? We're going to be reading from verse 14 and following. Now, I got to warn you, this is Paul's most poetic letter that he writes. This is flowery language. So be prepared to be like, huh, as we read it. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with the power, with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask for or imagine, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's some beautiful stuff, right? There's a reason that, that, that uh, God chose Paul to write most of the New Testament. I'm convinced of this. Because he can write lines like that, right? This is beautiful, beautiful language. The neat thing about Ephesians is it's, it's got a lot of high theology in it. Uh, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians, these are the books of the New Testament with sort of the highest theology, the, the deepest theology. And sometimes when we hear something like that, we think non-practical. And I want to just get that right out of our mindset. Because ideas have power. Our theology has power. And so theology just means that we need to think a little harder in order to get to the practical aspects of things. And so we're going to be thinking a little bit harder with this beautiful, deep language that Paul's using today. If you were to take the book of Colossians, we would say that that has the highest soteriology. Soteriology is the study of salvation. If we were to take the book of Romans, we would say that that also has a high soteriology, a, a, a concept of, of how people get saved. But the book of Ephesians has what we would call a high ecclesiology. And that's from the Greek word ekklesia, or church. It has a high theology of the church. And so if you read the book of Ephesians, you're going to see over and over again how Paul thinks churches should be run. So ecclesiology is the study of the church. So here's maturing the church in a nutshell. Well, and a nutshell is a big nutshell. There's a lot of words here to sort of get into. Verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. 
If you read the sister book of Ephesians, which is Colossians, they were penned about the same time and sent into the Lycus River Valley, where all of these churches were uh, that Paul was writing to. In fact, Ephesus was originally written to be a cyclical letter. It was meant to go to the church of Ephesus and then go to the other churches. So there's not a lot of specific issues that he's talking about. He's just talking about the beauty of what the church should look like. With that said, the sister book of Ephesians has right in the first chapter that everybody in, on earth has been created by Christ and for Christ and in Christ. That everybody on earth, whether or not we want to admit it or not, have been created by God with a purpose. His imprint has been imprinted on us. His identity is something that we can run from and try to get away from, but that can't stop the fact that that's who we are. He puts it in a different way in Ephesians in verse 15. He says, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. So how does he begin talking about living that full life within the church? He says, I want you to remember that God is your Father, and that's true of everybody. No one gets to identify themselves apart from their creator. He is it. And he's the one that's created them with a purpose. You can't find your identity apart from your true father. That's, that's like, period. Stop. I read this incredibly horrible book to my kids all the time. It's called Are You My Mommy? Have you ever seen it? And there's a couple of variations. One, in one book, it's a chicken. In another book, it's a bird. But it never changes. Little bird began shaking around in the shell. Mom decides, I need to go get some worms. And this little baby chick or bird pops out of the shell, right? Mom's not there. So what happens? This little chick or this little bird goes all about the farm looking at sheep, cows, goats, horses, and going, are you my mommy? And it gets more and more ludicrous as it goes along because eventually he's, this, this little bird is like a- a- asking tanks, are you my mommy? Because he, he's never really looked at himself to see what kind of identity that he has. He's never looked in a mirror, so he wouldn't even be able to, to, to have a concept of who his mommy is. So eventually he like falls 900 times and somehow lands in the nest and mom's there. And the story ends great. And I thought, boy, that's an analogy for church. We fall down 100 times until we finally see somebody and go, oh, that's who I'm supposed to look like. That's who I'm supposed to identify with. Paul's reminding them that no matter where people go, no matter where they try to place their identity, they can't change their daddy. They can't change who their creator is. They can't change who their father is. And they can't change the image of God that's been imprinted on them. It's a good place to start. And it reminds us that if we're trying to put our identity in other elements today, we're going to miss living the full life. If we're placing our identity in other fatherhoods, in other sources of power, in other places of refuge, we're not going to live the full life because we're looking at a Mack truck and saying, are you my daddy? Makes absolutely no sense. Got to start with the source of our identity, and that's God. Let's move on. Paul says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. God is our strength. 
Not only should we not be looking to other places as our source of identity, we should not be looking to other places as sources of strength. And that's part of what we do as human beings. We look for refuges that are not God. We look for places to draw strength and power and ability from that aren't from our Father, not from our Creator. God is intended to be our strength. In fact, Christ sent his Holy Spirit, or what he calls in John chapter 14, our advocate or our counselor, along into our lives when we accept Jesus in order that he may be our, our strength, in order that he may, what, renew our inner being. And I understand today that there are a lot of things that go into physical strength. There's rest, there's proper eating, there's going to the gym and exercising, there's making sure that we don't get above a certain stress threshold. Those are all good things for physical strength. But the truth is, eventually your physical strength will fail you. Each one of us is going to one day end up broken. Each one of us is headed in that direction. We can be strong for a certain time, but this body, this outer shell, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this tent that we live in is not sufficient for eternity. But there is something within us that is sufficient for eternity. That's our inner person, our inner man, our spirit, our soul. That is good for eternity, and that never has to decay. In fact, our spirit is meant to grow and be strengthened and become more like God day by day. Now, Paul puts it this way in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. He says to the church in Corinth, don't lose heart. Even though your outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. So you know what? You may be in a place where you go, Pastor Matt, my body is already broken. I'm there. It's over. But God says you may view that in terms of your physical self, but your inner self does not need to be broken. Your spirit does not need to be broken. It can be renewed day by day until such time, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we'll take off this tent and we're going to put on an eternal tent to house our spirit. God doesn't want us to end up shriveled up little prunes on the inside. He wants us to grow in, in, in the capacity of in, in his spirit and our spirit connecting. He wants us to be spiritual powerhouses. He doesn't care if we're muscle-bound freaks, but Jesus freaks are a good thing. People who have connected with the Spirit of God to the point that their life does not wither away from them regardless of what happens to their body. Regardless of what happens to their body. I was looking up some pictures on this, and the real question that I have for you with point one of this sermon that God is our strength is, who are you turning into? Are you turning into these folks who have got to the stage in life that we would call old They've got to a step, but look, they're so happy. They've been renewed in their spirit. They're not grumpy. They're not in a bad place. Now, I I don't know that these people are Christians. I pulled this off of Google. But my point is simple here, right? We should not be wasting away in our spirit. That should be you at 80. Happy, excited, ready to go, not broken by this world. 
The problem is, most Christians are turning into this. <laughs> Curmudgeon-y old, I love the 50s, they were a great era, I can't believe what's happening right now, I'm so bitter at this country, I'm so bitter at my life, I've got arthritis in this finger. And we're cynical and we're analytical and we're so not renewed day by day. We're just criticizing and and analyzing and putting down and wishing people would just get it. But we are to be the people, if we know Jesus, if we have the Spirit living inside us that are overflowing with joy and peace and hope, and life. How does that happen? Not because you got all the elements right in your life, but because the Spirit of God is living inside of you, renewing you day by day. If you don't allow the Holy Spirit to touch you through prayer, you will end up like those two jokers. You will, and their jokes are bad. You're going to end up like those guys, cynical, negative, not in a good spot. Christ offers us something different. He gives us the opportunity to say, God's going to be my strength. I'm going to trust in his spirit to renew me day by day. I'm not going to end up angry and bitter and broken on the inside. I know that one day my life's going to be taken from me, but my spirit will not be. I belong to the Lord. I was talking to someone in the church this week, and they call me every Tuesday in order to pray for me. I'm not going to tell you who, but they call me to pray for me. And this person said to me, you know what, Pastor Matt, I can't hear much, I can't see much, but I can rock in my chair and pray. That person's not on the shelf, are they? That person's not on the shelf. And I want to tell you, I know 20-year-olds who put themselves on the shelf because they're not being renewed day by day. They might be physically fit to the physically fit, but their inner nature is wasting away. Your inner nature has nothing to do with age. Nothing to do with age. God wants to use you, and he wants to be the source of your strength. That's why Paul prayed for all these churches that this letter was going to find. Imagine this. He, wrote this. he wrote this letter to like five churches, right, in the Lycus River Valley. I, I would venture to say tens of thousands of churches have read this. I pray that you'd be renewed in your inner person by God's Spirit. Because that's what the Christian looks like. So that's point number one. God is the source of our strength. Number two, to know him is to love. To know him is to love. Look at verse 17. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. To know Christ is not just to go, I am loved. To know Christ is to go, I am loved, therefore I will love others. To be rooted and grounded in love is to build something. Rooted is to take root and to begin to grow and to begin to have the opportunity to function properly. Paul uses two different words. In fact, he likes to do this throughout the New Testament when he writes. He likes to use an agricultural verb, and then he likes to use a construction verb. So this grounded is actually building of a foundation. So he wants us to be rooted in a good place, organically, if you will, and then he wants us to build up a good structure of love in our life because we know that Christ has loved us. 
And that's the problem for so many of us. We're not really connected to the love of Christ day by day, so we have problems showing the love of Christ day by day. We have problems being, there is a, there is a love in, love out type of quality that, there ex, that exists within relationship with God. And I want to tell you today, a lot of times we get things mixed up in the church. We say, well, I really want to know God more, so, so what I need to do is I need to go to a Bible study, I need to pray, and I need to, I need to go to church, and I need to sing the hymns. Good luck with that here. And uh, I, need to, I need to just do all the things that they tell me to do. But we're sort of missing it. We're supposed to do all those things because we're trying to grow closer to the one that we love. We're trying to know him more. That the spiritual disciplines that we get engaged in are designed to draw us close to Christ so we would then turn outward with our love for Christ. And I just want to encourage you today, and in a few weeks we'll be starting a series on the worship of God, but I want to encourage you today that some of us need to get out of the realm of the mental and into the realm of the spiritual in order to know the love of Christ. We need to feel just a little bit more. And I know that that doesn't strike all of you as, as, as an enjoyable thought because you've turned off your feelings, if you will, in the church. But I want to encourage you today that this love that we feel from Christ is not just a head knowledge. It's a knowledge of truly having God speaking into our hearts and moving in us on a day-to-day basis so that we can then turn it outward. One of the greatest scholars of the past hundred years was a man named F.F. F. Bruce. And when I say scholars, I mean a New Testament scholar. And he wrote these words, and I find them incredible in response to this passage. He said, to know the love of Christ is to know Christ himself and an ever-widening experience and to have his outgoing and self-denying love reproduced in oneself. So not only are we supposed to be people who are renewed in our inner being, not being negative, not being critical, not being destroyed and broken by life, but because of the love that Christ has showed us, because of the Holy Spirit working inside of us through prayer and through worship and through study and through meditation on the things of God, because God is willing to work in our lives, we, through ever-widening experience, show love to others. And what's our definition of love? Do you remember? Our definition of love is to want what's God's best for someone else. You want God's best for them. Not your best, because then you're going to try to conform them to you. Not their best, because then you'll never tell them when they're going off on a bad path. Our real goal is to love people with God's best for them. Move them to a place where they are whole in Christ Jesus and ready to minister, just like we're talking about here in Ephesians chapter 3. I mentioned to you in the previous weeks that the parallel to this maturing the church in the Gospels is found in John chapter 14 through 17. Did any of you read it? Don't raise your hands, I'll feel bad. But I I said that that if you really want to see how Jesus describes what we're talking about in this four-week series, begin to read in your study John chapter 14 through 16. I want to show you three different verses from John chapter 14 and 15 to sort of reiterate this point that's being made today. So if you want to turn over to John chapter 14, we're going to run through these real quick and make some observations about them. First in John 14, 15, Jesus says to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Some of you have counselor. Some of you have in your notes, this is the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. And so the first point that we want to make this morning is to love Christ is to keep his commandments. What's that commandment? Well, we're going to get there. Turn over probably one page in your Bibles to chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, he says, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So do you see how the gospel of Paul is meeting the gospel of Jesus here? Sometimes people think that they have divergent messages, but we're right in the same wheelhouse here. If you really want to know Christ, then you're going to sit and abide in his love. But this remain in his love is easy to internalize. It's, an easy, it's easy to say, well, that's just a feeling on the inside. But he says, just as I abide in the Father's love. Well, if you read the rest of John, you know that by abiding in love for the Father, Jesus is fulfilling the commandments of the Father. And in the same way, when we abide in his love, we fulfill his commandment. Two more verses down. What's his commandment? Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is laying it out for us. Paul has laid it out for us. Paul says you need to be rooted and grounded in love. As you know the love for Christ, a love of Christ, you will display the love of Christ. As Christ works in your life, you will then work through Christ in other people's lives. Now, we had a big controversy in Cleveland this week, did you know? Because Johnny Manziel had the audacity to throw two touchdown passes last Sunday. And two touchdown passes is like the living end for Cleveland fans. (laughs) Eight of 15, but apparently he's the next big thing. Do you remember this? So now, in a few hours, Josh McCown, journeyman Josh, will be starting for the Cleveland Browns. Now, some of you are like, why are you telling me this? I'm going to get to a point here. Journeyman Josh, 36 years old, is going to be starting for us, and I was listening to sports radio this week, and so many people who wanted Johnny to start some more, what was their argument? They said, you know what? The truth is Johnny needs live reps. He needs to get into the game. He needs to take his lumps, and he needs to start doing the things that is going to make him a great quarterback, and how can we put in a 36-year-old when we have a 22-year-old? He needs some live reps. And I'm telling some of you today, You're letting other people into the game, and you're not taking any live love reps. You are not moving anybody on to God's agenda for their lives, which speaks that you don't know the love of Christ, because Christ loves you enough to try to pull you out of the muck and the mire that you were once in. Do you love anyone else enough to try to do the same for them? See, This knowing is so easy to internalize. One of the big songs of the last five years has kids swaying, singing, Oh, how he loves us so, which is great, it's so true. But they miss the third verse. Where do we turn our love to others? Where do we take that knowledge that Christ has given us chance after chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity to partner with him in this life? He didn't have to do any of this for us. Where do we take it and turn it outwards? That you may be rooted and grounded in love, that you are building something with the love of Christ displayed through your life. If you're not building anything in love, there's something that's missing. 
There's something that's missing. Then the third point that I want to make today, if you want to turn back with me to Ephesians, is verse 19. Back to this concept of love. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. You see, Paul wants these people to live a full life. He wants them to know the heart of God enough that they'll be right on the same frequency with their Father. Right in line. Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. What he means by that is, if you, if you really take in who Christ is and what he has done and who he wants to be to you, you will begin to see God's intent for your life. You'll begin to see what God wants to do through you. To live the full life is to love others as Christ has loved you. To live the full life is to truly understand the heart of God for this world and want to reproduce it wherever you go. That's how you live a full life. You have been designed with a purpose. God does have a plan for you. He wants to use you. He wants to take roots deep down and then build a beautiful structure in your life that you can say, you know what, I spent my life in pursuit of what my Father put me on this earth to do. Look at verse 20. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. He wants to work in you something better than you can ask for or imagine. Some of us have really poor imaginations because we think that the best thing that life has to offer is to fully stock our 401k so we can sit and drink a pina colada on the beach. And that's not it. That's not the full life. You'll work your whole life to find yourself completely unsatisfied. Because Christ has given us this love letter through the cross. He has written about the Father's heart towards us. That he wants us to participate with him in redeeming the world. And we're busy trying to just get to a place of financial security. Just busy trying to get a few days of relaxation every year. Just trying to have some good times at a few parties every now and again. Just trying to take a few excursions. Maybe we're even trying to build something at our work that consumes us. But that's not the full life. The full life is to say, Christ, you have loved me. Now I want your spirit that's at work within me to do more than I could ask for or imagine you promised it in your word. I want to know the Father's heart for the people around me. I am designed with a purpose. You know who agrees with me? The leading atheist in the world, his name's Richard Dawkins. Anybody read The God Delusion or heard of The Blind Watchmaker? This is Dawkins. Dawkins says in The Blind Watchmaker, biology, you know, we're biological beings, water, carbon. Biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Did you catch that? Now, Dawkins doesn't believe in God. 
In essence, he's saying unscientifically, when I see all this design in nature, I just have to tell myself, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God, there is no God. Because everything's been designed with a purpose. If, if the leaf that you pick up on the ground was designed with a purpose, how much greater the purpose that God has designed for you? Even the biologists who don't believe in God go, wow, look at the design. Stop, 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 stop. It's just the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. I could go further on this, but I won't. My point is it's so intuitive that God's created you and that he's designed you. He's the father from whom every one of you takes your name. And he wants you to live the full life. He wants you to experience that he loves you through his son. He wants to empower you through his spirit so that he can do in you more than you could ask for or imagine. You say, Pastor Matt, I'm ready to come and pray in the altar right now. I am opening that orphanage in Africa tomorrow. (laughs) And that's where we get a little lost. That's where we get a little lost. Because when we begin to hear words like abundantly more than we can ask for or imagine, we devalue where God has placed us right now. Now, if you want to open an orphanage in Africa, you come talk to us. But that's not what we're, we're, where we're at today. That's not where everybody's going to be at. Some of you may hit the mission field in the next 10 years. God bless you. Some of you may quit your job and start a nonprofit. God bless you. Some of you may leave here today and begin seminary and then go build some church in some unchurched area. God bless you. But most people in this place have a work to do right now where they are at. And God wants you to experience his spirit today so that you can live for him today and move in him tomorrow. He wants to make you the light of the world. He wants to work in you right where you're at. You know what? Your job is important because Christ has placed you there. Your job is important. I hate my job. Great. Can we see that picture again, Val? I'm kidding. No, God's giving you opportunities right now. And maybe someday you'll do some incredible work that all of us go, wow, what a person. But God wants to speak to your heart day by day so that you'll live in the fullness. And you know what? That you'll be able to look back on your life and you'll say, you know what? God did immeasurably more than I could have asked for or imagined. But that takes submitting to his spirit today. I love that story that John Piper tells of when he took over Bethlehem Church up in Minneapolis and he was meeting the old pastor who was lying on his deathbed. And John walked in to visit him and he said, Pastor John, the greatest thing in all the world is being saved. His body was broken, but there was a man whose inner nature had been renewed day by day. And he was going to even minister to the new pastor on his deathbed. God has a work for you to do. He wants you to get better, not bitter. He wants to take your life from where it is now and make you a person of wholeness that then enhances the wholeness of others. But we have to let him work. We have to let him work by his spirit We need to revel in his love when we get the opportunity. We need to listen to his voice when he has the opportunity to speak to us and we're in a quiet place. And I promise you the God who created you, from whom you take your name, will use you. Will use you. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, I know that each and every one of us in this place wants to live the good life. I know, Lord, that we want to live a life that matters, that's full. We want to be whole, and we want to help other people to wholeness. But God, sometimes we get stuck. Sometimes we get pursuing the wrong things. Sometimes we get lackadaisical in our approach to you. Sometimes we just don't feel very connected to you. But I pray, Lord, today in this moment, just the few moments that we have before we close, that you'd speak to our hearts. That you'd remind us that you loved us enough, not just to create us, but to redeem us. To give us a new chance, to make us new. To bring us to a place where we're born again. God, we want that. The world says we can't change. The Bible says we can be renewed day by day. Lord, I pray that you'd renew us in this place. I pray that you would make us new. And that regardless of the state of this tent in which we dwell, that we would live each day communicating our Father's heart to the world around us. If you would please remain in the spirit of prayer with me, I'm going to ask our elders to come. And today, as always here at Victory Life, our invitation is twofold. One, if God's speaking to you through the message today and you know that you want to seek him out in this place, you want somebody to pray for you, that you live a full life, that the things that are making you content right now are not full and free. This altar is open today. And I also want to invite you today, if you're sick in body, or if you have need, if you don't know where that next bit of money is going to come from, if you're not convinced that God's moving in a situation where you need him to move, these altars are open. If you want to pray for somebody else here today that is not in a good spot, these altars are open. Our elders want to pray with you. They want to anoint you with oil according to James, the fifth chapter, which says it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit that he cares about you. So I'm going to invite you right now, if you want to pray in this place for a few minutes, would you join us at the altar? God's speaking to you. There's things you want to pray about, things you want to bring before him. There's men here who would love to pray for you.